prophecy. And he says, Many in the, in the last days shall be purified, made white, and refined. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. Now catch that. None of the wicked will understand. They're not going to know what's going on. But then he says, But the wise shall understand. Now, I don't want to just be saved, though I'm so grateful for the blood of Jesus, but I want to be wise. I want to be wise. I pray for wisdom all the time. I want to be wise so that I understand what's going on in my day. And what we're going to look at tonight is going to open up our eyes to what is happening in these last days. You'll see up there we have World War III, and we're going to talk tonight about the Valley of Dry Bones. We're going to focus on Israel, because if you don't understand Israel, you're not going to understand Look at the history of Israel and look at what God has proclaimed over this nation of His. So let's pray together and then you can be seated. Father, we thank You that You're going to help us to be wise, that we will understand. Give us understanding, Lord. Open our eyes. Open Your Word to us that we may observe wondrous things out of Your law. Open Ezekiel to us and help us to see through the lens of Bible prophecy. Now, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, give me wisdom that I will be one who understands in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. How many of you have liked this uh, prophecy series we've been doing? I'll tell you, it's been good. And I find there's a great interest in it. And uh, the reason I wanted to go ahead and do this uh, little extra add-on to Revelations is because Ezekiel is really closer to us than the Great Tribulation. What we're going to look at tonight is nearer, and the circumstances and the nations involved are setting up like chess pieces on a chessboard. It is really astonishing. Now let's look, uh, let's look at just some basic facts. I want you to, to have knowledge. I want the people of this church to know their Bibles. I don't want you to be biblically illiterate. A lot of churches, they're saved as they can be, but they're illiterate. Do you all know that? I don't mean can't read. I mean they're biblically illiterate. And that's one of the shames of our day. And I want you to be literate. I want you to know your Bible. And I don't want you to wake up and turn on the news and live in fear all the time. I want you to see God working. Amen? So the primary focus of Bible prophecy, and by the way, did you get the handout? Everybody get the handout? Anybody not get the handout? Uh Uh-oh. How many want the handout? Uh Uh-oh. What happened, Jeff? What are we going to do? Did did you all know there was one? What are we going to do? I want you all to have this handout, and I want you to have it for your folder. So forgive us. Where did Joe go? We can sing a song or two. I want you all to have it. I'm sorry. I thought we knew. I thought we had it. What? What? Okay. There is a a minor charge. Maybe that's why you don't have it. I'll tell you what we'll do. Get it on the way out. All right? Get it on the way out. Add it to the folder that you've already got. And somebody tell Jeff he can relax. Will you tell him, Janine? Thank you. 
Okay, let me regain my focus. The third word in that sentence. How many of you are excited about Ezekiel now? All right, let's look at it. The primary focus of Bible prophecy, the crown jewel of Bible prophecy, is the land of Israel. End-time prophecy is no different. And one key theme of end-time prophecy is that God would regather His people into the land of Israel. Very important. As a matter of fact, that was one of the key prophetic events that took place uh, in our generation. Massive, amazing fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Very key. We're going to look at it tonight. Let's look at a couple of choice passages that predict this event. Here's Isaiah 11.1. Look how God predicted through Isaiah that Israel would become a nation again. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set His hand a second time to recover the remnant of His people. And He shall set up an ensign, a sign for the nations, and shall assemble the outcast of Israel. And what does it say here? Read it with me. And gather together the dispersed of Judah from where? The four corners of the earth. You're going to understand that a lot more in just a little bit. Now let's look at Jeremiah 23, verses 6 through 8. Same thing, talking about the regathering of God's people into their own land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. So then, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. But they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north, and from where, everyone? Out of all the countries where he had banished them. Keep that in mind. They were dispersed, and then they were regathered after centuries of time. Then what does it say that I've got underlined there? Then they will live where? In their own land. Prophecy. That's Jeremiah. Centuries and centuries before it ever happened. Now let's look back a little bit at the history of Israel. Very important here. Remember I told you Israel is the crown jewel of Bible prophecy. What we keep our eyes on right now is the land of Israel. When you see news events about Israel, listen to it, watch it, because the eye of God is on that land. And we're going to see tonight how important Jerusalem is going to be and already is in our day. So let's marvel at Bible prophecy and God's ability to see the end from the beginning. In 70 AD, just 40 years after Jesus was crucified, the Roman army burned down Herod's temple in Jerusalem. Jesus predicted it. You remember that? Mark 13, 1 through 2, he says. It says, as he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher. And he pointed to the temple. And he said, What massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And it was. It was an incredible structure. And Jesus said something nobody could believe. He said, do you see all these great buildings? He said, I'm telling you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. 
Well, they couldn't believe that. But Jesus said it because Jesus was God. And Jesus knows the end from the beginning. So he says, it's going to happen. Well, they, they found that hard to believe. But Luke's gospel is even more pointed. Look what Luke said in chapter 19. He said, it says, when Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day even you the things which make for peace, and boy, you can apply that to you. If you had known that God was going to bless you, heal you, if you had known the hour of your visitation and what would have brought you peace, but they, rec- they did not recognize it. And then he says, but now, since you didn't recognize the day of your visitation, they have been hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you, and they are going to surround you, and they're going to hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. See, when God comes knocking, you better respond. Because there's an hour of grace and then there is an hour of judgment if you refuse the grace. Amen. Now, what happened? Well, Jesus was killed, crucified, and rose from the dead. And then when Titus conquered Jerusalem, he did it 40 years after the death and resurrection of Christ. 40 years after Jesus spoke those words, it was fulfilled. Titus tore down the temple and the other structures stone by stone until no evidence at all of any buildings remained. Just like the great prophet, the great teacher, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, had predicted. His demolition of the city left Jerusalem in complete ruin, and it initiated the dispersion of the Jews to the four corners of the globe. They were scattered. It was a stunning loss. It happened on August 29th in 70 A.D., and ironically, the very same day the Babylonians had burned down Solomon's temple 657 years earlier when he burned it down and they were carried off into the Babylonian captivity in Daniel's day and Jeremiah's day. 657 years later to the day, the temple was torn down and destroyed again. Like bookends, the identical dates spoke loudly of divine correlation. Now this Roman siege of Jerusalem was horrible It was one of the most terrible wars in all of history. Thousands of Jews were crucified on crosses like Christ had been. The most gruesome death available to man. Over a million Jews were slaughtered. A million. Think about it. The temple was burned to the ground. And the city virtually vanished from history for over 50 years. Terrible thing that happened. And Jesus said it would. Now, Zechariah the prophet foresaw this scattering. And I want you to keep in your mind now, I want to to nail some some memories into your your thoughts tonight. I want to nail some prophetic nails into the, the board of your memory tonight. I want you to remember phrases like scattering, the dispersion. Zechariah saw that the Jewish people were going to be scattered. In chapter 13, verse 7, Zechariah, the Old Testament prophet, said, Awake, O sword! against my shepherd, against the man 
who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. And then what did he say? If you strike the shepherd, the sheep are going to be scattered. And I will turn my hand against the little ones. Now that little phrase right here, notice, the man who is close to me, that phrase is speaking of none other than Jesus Christ. It literally means the man right next to me. And Jesus is at the right-hand side of God. So this is talking about Jesus Christ being stricken, striking the shepherd. Zechariah predicted that when the shepherd Jesus was stricken at the cross of Calvary, that the unity of the nation of Israel would be destroyed and the individual members would be scattered far and wide. And that's exactly what happened. Matter of fact, Jerusalem's long and troubled road is an amazing thing to read. I read a lot of history. I love history. And let me tell you, the history of the Jews is a heartache. The history of the Jewish people is a heartbreak. The history of the Jewish people is grim and abysmal. From the moment that Jesus was crucified and they were scattered, no other people in the history of mankind has been persecuted, maligned, rejected, ridiculed, killed, ostracized like the Jewish people. Anywhere they've wound up, in Europe, in the West, it doesn't matter, they have been ostracized, criticized, anti-Semitism has always reared its ugly head. And let's look for a minute now at Jerusalem and the long and troubled history of it. I'm going to scan it real quick because it's going to matter as we come up to today in the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem has a long history of being besieged. Jesus said, they're going to mow you down, not one stone left on another. But boy, that was just the beginning for Jerusalem. The first recorded siege occurred when David took the city from the Jebusites around 700 years before the founding of Rome in 2 Samuel 5, 6 through 9. So that was the first siege. Then Jerusalem was plundered by the Egyptian pharaoh Shishak in the days of Rehoboam. Read about that in the verses that I've got written down there. And then Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon burned the temple and reduced Jerusalem to rubble. That's the third one. Now, number four, Antiochus, the great, took the rebuilt city, and it suffered horribly under the persecutions of Antiochus Epiphanes, who also committed the abomination of desolation for the first of two times in history. He defiled the temple, and Jerusalem was besieged again. The Roman general Pompey besieged Jerusalem in 63 B.C., just a few decades before Jesus. He attacked on a Sabbath. And since the Jews refused to fight on the Sabbath, he easily took possession of it because they wouldn't fight back because they wouldn't lift a hand to defend themselves because it was the Sabbath. So he took it. And thousands of Jews were killed. In 37 B.C., just three decades later, Herod, with the support of the Roman army, fought for five months to gain possession of Jerusalem. And he took it. It was besieged again. And then came the massacre of 70 A.D. that Jesus himself had predicted. But then, after Jesus had died and resurrected, 135 years later, the Romans again obliterated Jerusalem. They changed the name of the city to Alia Capitolina. They actually changed the name of Jerusalem to something else. They built a temple to Jupiter on the temple site. 
And they banned Jews from going anywhere near their own city. And it was besieged again. After four silent centuries, the church began to colonize Jerusalem. Who began to colonize it? The church. And about A.D. 614, 614 years after Jesus, Kosaurus, the Persian, took the city. And what did he do? He massacred thousands of Christians and destroyed the church of the Holy Sepulchre. And Jerusalem was besieged again. And then Caliph Omar. Now, Caliph, like if I tell you uh, I'm a church elder, a Caliph is, is a Muslim ruler. Caliph Omar, Omar the elder, Omar the ruler, entered the city in 637 A.D. And Jerusalem passed into the hands of the Turks, which means the Muslims. Look at this city being rocked and attacked and besieged and assaulted over and over again in history. And that's not it. That's not all. In the year 1098, after the turn of the first millennium, the caliph of Egypt sent an ambassador to subdue two rival Muslim factions in Jerusalem. And again, the apple of God's eye, Jerusalem, was plundered and besieged. In 1099, can you believe it? It happened again. The soldiers of the First Crusade besieged Jerusalem. And in 1187, Saladin recaptured it for the Muslims. Back and forth from Jews to Muslims, Jews to Muslims. In 1224, now I know what you're going to think immediately, tartar sauce, when you see that up there. Every time I say the tartars, I can't get away from tartar sauce, but that's exactly the way you say it. In 1244, the tartars, who were Turkish people, they plundered the tragic city and slaughtered its monks and its priests, and it was besieged again. In 1917, British General Allenby led British forces against the city and took it without firing a shot, and it was captured again. And then in 1948, mark this date down, the Jews and the Arabs fought over Jerusalem when Israel became a state. And then, in 1967, the famous Six-Day War, the Jews captured Jerusalem from the Arabs, united the city, and they, they waltzed in, marched in, and made it the capital of the state of Israel. And that was fulfilled prophecy. And that's why the Arabs to this day hate the Jewish people, because they took the land. Now, such has been the troubled history of Jerusalem. And I want you to understand this. It's always been under attack. It's always been a focus of satanic attack and plundering and besieging. And it's not over, folks. Matter of fact, the fun is just beginning. The worst siege is just ahead. It's just ahead. And we're going to see that tonight and next week and the week after. It's just ahead. The worst siege of all. 1948. The rebirth of Israel as an independent nation in 1948 is one of the most significant events in world history. Remember you heard that. Remember I taught you that. Remember the Word of God told us this. Never before in the whole history of the world has an entire race of people been without a homeland for 20 centuries without assimilating into surrounding populations and fading away. But the Jewish people did not fade away. But God began to call them back into their homeland. However, no other conquered race 
has had the promise of God to give all this land of Canaan to you and to your offspring forever. Church, know this. That land of Israel is God's land. It is God's land and He gives it to whom He wants. And it doesn't matter what people think. doesn't matter what presidents think. doesn't matter what rulers think. It doesn't matter what races think. God will give that land to whomever He wants. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. In Genesis 12, verse 1 through 3, that was the Abrahamic covenant and God's contract with the people of Israel, with Abraham's offspring, that the land of Israel was theirs. And that land matters to God. That's why when our presidents go over there and try to get them to give that land up, I fear for them and I fear for our country. Every time we have tried to involve ourselves in enforcing the Israeli people to give up that land, we have experienced repercussions in this country. You can't lay your finger against the, the apple of God's eye. And that land and the Jewish people, not because they're perfect, but because they're chosen... Both are the apple of God's eye. And so we bless Jerusalem and we bless Israel. And I pray, I pray that we keep our hands off of that deal. That's, that's their land and we need to leave them alone. I'm going to stop right there or I'm going to get political on you. But now follow along. As we've seen, the scriptures prophesy that Israel would be dispersed among the nations. Jesus said so then brought out from among them in a gradual process that would culminate in the establishment of Israel as a, na as a nation, and how soon? In a single day. And that's exactly what happened. Look at this. Long ago, the Bible predicted that the following six events would transpire in the last days. Let's look at these six events that we're going to see happening. I've already seen four of the six happen, but let's look at them. Number one, the gathering of the Jews into their homeland. When did that happen? 1948. Number two, the rebirth of Israel in a single day. 1948. Israel's possession of Jerusalem. 1967. The nations of the earth aligned against Israel right now. Five, the war of Gog and Magog. That's what we're looking at tonight and next week. And six, the rebuilding of the Jewish temple that we covered in the Revelation series. Now, the first four of these six prophetic events have already been fulfilled, and the final two are certain to follow. Now, I want to pull in tighter on this regathering of the Jews in the land of Israel by looking at a powerful vision given to the prophet Ezekiel. And here we're coming now to Ezekiel chapter 37, the gathering of the Jews. In Ezekiel 37, we find a remarkable vision unfolding as God speaks with Ezekiel. You know, I discovered in studying up on this, that there are psychologists uh, uh, in our generation who have studied Ezekiel as a schizophrenic because his visions were so uh, massive and so seemingly to the natural eye bizarre. So they said, he must have been schizophrenic. No, no, no. He came under the anointing of the Spirit of God who showed him the future. Look at this. The hand of the Lord, Ezekiel testifies, was upon me. And he brought me out of the Spirit, or out by the Spirit of the Lord, and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. What a great Halloween verse, huh? <laughs> and God flew the prophet 
Now, I'm, I'm writing this. This is not the Bible. God flew the prophet Ezekiel on location to an old battle, battlefield where the carcasses of a defeated army had died. That's the valley he was taken to. The bones that he sees are a prophetic picture of the future nation of Israel who would be scattered from 70 A.D. forward, persecuted everywhere they went, with no apparent future or hope. Israel looked then and would look again in the future the same way, just like these dry, dead bones. So he's seeing the way Israel would come to see herself. You ever felt this way? You ever felt this way? Man, I gave it my best shot. I'm just a pile of dry, dead bones now. You ever felt that way? Kind of that way? See, all hope was lost. He was seeing down the tunnel of time to the way they would see themselves. Verse 2 says, He led me back and forth among them. So here's Ezekiel. He's walking around looking at skulls and bones hip bones, leg bones, feet bones. He's, he's walking amongst this battlefield of dry bones. And he, he begins to describe them. He says, man, they were very dry. They were dead. There were very many, very dry bones. It was a desert situation, kind of like Death Valley. If you've ever been there in California, of course, all of California It's kind of headed there now, but there was a time when Death Valley was the only place that looked that way. And, you know, when you get into a desert, Kathy and I went through a desert a few, few months uh, back uh, going to uh, Colorado, and there's no life. Well, there's life, but it's gnarly life. It's life that doesn't need much. It's snakes and lizards, but cacti, tumbleweeds, sand blowing around. It's not the kind of place where you want to build your home. It's, it's kind of dry and dead and lifeless very dry the bones were parched and bleached by the sun as he sees this vision and then in verses three and four he says he asked me god asked him son of man can these bones live and he made a smart response oh lord you know i tell you i i know preachers that that talk to dry bones every sunday i'm thankful i'm not one of them And they have to believe that those bones can live. I mean, I'm real thankful I'm not one of them. There have been a few times I got invited to preach in places like that. And I can't imagine doing it every week. Dry bones staring at you. Nothing behind those eyes. No amen. No life. I said, get me back to my congregation where they say amen. And every once in a while they even jump up. They're alive. See? Now, only you, the prophet says, could do such a thing. Lord, if these bones can live, only you can do it. Then he said to me, son, I want you to prophesy to these dry, dead bones. And I want you to talk to them. Only God will tell you to talk to something dead. He said, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Boy, I love that. And I, I want to say that to the whole backslidden church in America. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Well, I'll tell you, I could park right there for the rest of tonight, but I got to move on. But, I would, but that's what our 
church in America needs to hear. Hear the word of the Lord, dry bones. God literally tells the prophet to preach to lifeless bones. But then he informs Ezekiel how they will live again. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter into you. And you will come to life when I breathe on you. Hallelujah. You know that's talking about the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit of the living God, the breath of God, that would bring life to the dead bones. God didn't stop there. He said, I'm going to attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'm going to put breath in you and you will come to life. And then you're going to know something, that I am the Lord when I bring these dead bones to life. You're going to know that I'm the Lord. Now, God begins with the spirit man. Notice this. He begins with the spirit man in people. He breathes the breath of life into our souls. Then he begins working from the inside out. Satan works from the outside in. God works from the inside out. All right? So I prophesied, Ezekiel says, as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise. Hallelujah. This is a revival verse. As I prophesied, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. And when was all this happening? When he was prophesying, live, 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 live. But there was no breath in them. And then he says, when God, and then I wrote here, when God moves in revival, you know what, folks, there's always a rattling and a shaking noise. When he moves in revival, he rattles your cage. He shakes you up. Some people that pray for a move of God don't know what they're praying for. Because when God begins to move, He's going to shake you up. He's going to rattle your cage. Notice, the bones began coming together bone to bone. I couldn't help but think about this when I read that. When God moves in revival and restoration, the Baptist bone gets connected to the Methodist bone. (laughs) I, I couldn't help. And the Pentecostal bone gets connected to the Lutheran bone. And the Catholic bone gets connected to the Protestant bone. And you know what you find out when God moves in revival? That all pretense and all division melt away and the blood-bought church joins hands. And I'll tell you, that's what we need right now. When tough times come, I don't care what sign is hanging in front of your church, as long as you are blood-bought child of God, I'll fellowship with you. Now, 9 and 10, God says, prophesy to the breath, the Holy Spirit. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath, now, that's the Holy Spirit. Breath entered them you're not alive until the breath of God enters you you're not alive you're a dead bone walking around you're lifeless Jesus said it and he said this is the way people are born by the Holy Spirit is like the wind you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going so it's the same way as those that are touched by God and saved and filled with the Spirit. They didn't see it coming, and they don't know where it's going after that. 
But suddenly the Spirit of God moves on their life. And those who were dead are made alive by the breath of God. That's why I was preaching Sunday. We need the Holy Spirit to move. We need to see the Holy Spirit moving in this city and in this country again. We need to prophesy to the breath and say, Move, O breath of God. Move, O breath of God. Look what happened when the breath of God, the Spirit of God moved. So I prophesied He's commanded me, and the breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet. And what were they? Defeated, lifeless bones? No, a vast army. What made the difference? The prophesied Word of God and the breath of the Lord, the Spirit of God. It was when the breath of God's Spirit came into them that they stood up, a vast army. Verses 11 to 14, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, they say among themselves, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we are cut off. There's no more hope, no more future. It's over with. We might as well die. We are dead. Therefore, Son of man, you prophesy to them. This is what the sovereign Lord says, children of Israel, my people. I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. And what does it say, everybody? I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. Woo, God is powerful. Our God is a mighty God. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is a powerful God. I will put my spirit in you, he says to the children of Israel, and you will live. And what does he say? I will settle you, read it with me, in your own land. Then you will know, then you will know, I'm the Lord, and that I have spoken. I have done it, declares the Lord. Now we can look at the Bible's ancient prophecies today. This is one of the great uh, uh, affirmers of the Bible being the Word of God. That long after all the events have been laid to rest, and come to pass just like God said they would, you can look and see the accuracy of the Holy Spirit's words. What did Peter say? No prophecy ever came from man's own initiative. When men spoke for God, it was the Holy Spirit that moved them. So the Bible in your hand is inerrant. It is error-free. And prophecy is one of the great ways to affirm that and know that. Israel became a nation in a single day. The man standing up there in that picture is David Ben-Gurion. And uh, he was the one that signed the documents and the first Israeli prime minister when they were born as a nation in a day. Look at this. God foretold long ago that after he brought his scattered people out from among the nations, he would declare them to be a nation in one single day. One 24-hour period. Isaiah 66, verse 8, look what he says. Who has ever seen or heard of anything as strange as this? Has the nation ever in your eyesight or memory ever been born in a single day? Has a country ever come forth in a mere moment? But by the time Jerusalem's birth pains begin, the baby will be born. Would the nation will come forth? Would I ever bring this nation to the point of birth and then not deliver it? And you know what God says about you? Would I bring my purpose for you to the moment of birth and not deliver it? Great question. Now, no, 
I would never keep this nation from being born, says your God. And this is exactly what happened on May 14, 1948, having been brought to the brink of extinction by the horrors of the Holocaust. Facing persecution around the world and surrounded by their enemies, the Jewish people gathered together in Israel and declared themselves a nation in a single day. Just like the prophet had said. The United States recognized Israel as a nation on that same day. And Israel's victories in the wars since then. The, the, the Arab people, God bless them. I, I, God loves all people and I love all people. But they still can't figure out how they did not win those battles. 48 or 67, in six days they took Jerusalem against unbelievable impossible odds. Israel's victories in the wars since then have solidified their place among the nations of the world. The prophet Zechariah noted the following would be true of Israel in the last days. Catch this. Now, as I read this, I ask you, is this the case as we sit here tonight? And this is Zechariah centuries and centuries ago, centuries before Christ. Here's what God says. I'm going to make Jerusalem and, Ju and Judah like an intoxicating drink to all the nearby nations that send their armies to besiege Jerusalem. Look, on that day, I'll make Jerusalem a heavy stone, a burden for the world. None of the nations who try to lift, uh, to, who try to lift it will escape unscathed. Can I ask you tonight, is Jerusalem a burden to the world right now? Oh, every single day of our life, we feel way over here in the West, the burden of Jerusalem. The Arab-Israeli conflict is affecting all of us, and it's only just begun. President after president tries to go over and solve it and won't do it. The only one who will ever do it is Antichrist. And he'll do it for seven short years, and it will go away. In three and a half of those seven years, the first three and a half years, there will be peace. After that, he breaks the treaty. But he's the only one that will ever bring an agreement between the Arabs and the Israelis. And they will make a pact with the devil claiming him their Messiah because they've rejected the true Messiah. None of the nations who try to lift their hand against it will escape unscathed. Look at the nations that have attacked it and none of them have succeeded. The rebirth of Israel in 1948 has been accompanied by constant war and conflict with surrounding Muslim nations. The main focus of world attention today concerns Israel's relationship with its neighbors. Just as God foretold, Israel has become a burdensome stone for the world's political leaders. The majority of the Islamic countries surrounding Israel, and don't miss next week because it's going to blow your mind how accurate Ezekiel was. He nailed every nation that right now is breathing down Israel's neck and threatening to destroy her. But look what it says. Their primary goal is the destruction of Israel, as Ahmadinejad said recently and many times through the last few years. We're going to wipe it off the map. It's going to cease to exist. We are, they are building nuclear weaponry. Don't listen to anything other than that. It's crazy. They're building nuclear weaponry with every intent of evaporating Israel. But it will not succeed. It will not succeed. You know why? Because God has made it clear that Israel is here to stay. And, Jer and Jesus is going to rule the world from Jerusalem. 
So it's not going to be wiped out. Well, I think that's enough for you tonight. I'm going to give you a sneak peek at next week. As we'll see next time, in the last days, Russia and a coalition of Muslim nations led by Iran will gather a horde of armies in an effort to wipe Israel off the map. Israel will appear defenseless. It'll look like they're hopelessly outnumbered in the face of this massive invasion force with none of its worldly allies willing to come to its defense. They are alone in the world. And I ask you, are they not virtually there now? However, God is Israel's greatest ally. God, not America, God. And he vows to make his presence known to the entire world by supernaturally destroying the armies that are arrayed against Israel. Look what he says. Look what he says. Therefore, son of man, prophesy against Gog. I'll tell you about Gog next week. Give him, just don't name your boy Gog. For a lot of reasons. Give him this message. That is Gog. Give him this message from the Sovereign Lord. When my people are living in peace in their land, you will rouse yourself. You will come from your homeland in the distant north, that's Russia, with your vast cavalry and your mighty army, and you will cover the land like a cloud, the confederacy of nations. This will happen in the distant future. Ezekiel said, the distant future from me. I will bring you against my land as everybody watches. In my, CNN, ABC, CBS... As everybody watches, and my holiness will be displayed by what happens to you. All the nations are going to know that I am the Lord. Now, why is this important? Jesus told his disciples the primary sign of his soon return would be the restoration of Israel. Jesus said these words. Listen carefully. Learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its buds become tender and its leaves begin to sprout, you know without being told summer is near, don't you? Just so, when you see the events I've described beginning to happen, you can know that His return is very near, right at the door. I assure you, this generation will not pass from the scene before all this takes place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words are going to stick around forever. Amen. The fig tree Jesus refers to as Israel. It's been six decades since Israel was once again declared a nation against all worldly odds. What's a generation? I think it's a generation is somewhere around 70 years. How long does men live? Do men live? According to the book of Psalms, three score and ten, and if God's good to you, four score. But the age of men is about 70 to 80 years, and there you have generations going by. Jesus said the generation that sees the rebirth of Israel as a nation will see all these things come to pass. Jesus promised the generation which witnessed fulfillment of this prophecy would not die off till all this came to pass. Given the past credibility of the Bible and God's Son, Jesus Christ, we should fully expect these events to come to pass. What this means is that Jesus is going to return soon within this generation. A wise person will prepare accordingly. You plan like he's never coming back, but you live like he's coming back before you get home tonight. All right, let me just give you a little sneak peek of next week.
I'll show you the rest of that next week. Next week, I love saying this, the final jihad. Do you know there's going to be a final one? Let's stand together, can we? How many of you think you understand Israel a little bit better now? It is the crown jewel of Bible prophecy. Keep your eyes on that land. Let's pray. Father, we see the history of your, your land, Israel, Jerusalem, and how through Israel and Jerusalem, via the Messiah, all the nations of the earth have been blessed. There's not a nation, Lord, that has not been affected by the gospel and that it does not contain saved people, redeemed. But Lord, we know that we are standing on the precipice of tumultuous, perilous times. And yet, Lord, I know that your Spirit is preparing your people. And you have given us these words that we would be wise and understand what is happening in our world today. Now, once again, we pray, Grace Turning Point Church and every church that preaches Jesus Christ to win a multitude of souls. For surely, Lord, the time is short. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord.